this to Luna here and I have an important message for you. We're living in a turbulent times. Conflict and social unrest seems to be everywhere. And rapid technological changes are only adding to the cultural upheavals. Uncertainty about the future, about ourselves, loom large in the collective consciousness of humanity. But is there a realistic path towards liberation, peace and happiness for us all? Well, yes, according to myself and the co-author of the book, Story of Boxes, Nicholas Haynes, we feel so. The issue is that we all have tendency to think in boxes, mentally placing people's ideas and even objects like underpants into rigid categories. Some of these categories or boxes are good. They are a source of joy and comfort. Others are bad, responsible for creating immense pain, isolation and division in the world. And others, they're just plain ugly. Once you become aware of the boxes that rule your personal life, the, you can break out of the box-based thinking and live a life that is freer and happier. You are no longer caged in by the walls of mental boxes. By investigating our unconscious and conscious boxes and sharing inspirational stories and easy-to-grasp examples, this sometimes even funny book gives you a new way of thinking about reality. It explores some of humanity's most salient and enduring bosics, including genders, race, sexuality, religion and class, and gives you a key to unlock the boxes in your own mind. If you want to know more, please go to www.nomoreboxesmovement.com forward slash the book. And now let's continue with our podcast. You're listening to the Chainsmakers podcast, where we share tips, insight, tools and stories from other Chainsmakers designed to motivate you to become the change you want to see in your world. Make sure you join our Chainsmakers community at runamagnus.com forward slash podcast. And now, this is your time to sit back, relax and enjoy. Oh my God, folks, we have a guest calling in from LA, beautiful, sunny LA. And I have to tell you, <laughs> as I've been here in my country, Iceland, feeling a little bit stuck these days, I have, I have to be honest. Iceland, the part in Iceland where I am based is the capital area. And I think we've had the worst summer so far for the past 100 years. So I think we had had probably around... I, I, I might be exaggerating, but it feels like we had like two hours of sunshine for the past two months. But Ooh. it gives me a lot of sunshine just thinking about our guest today, Astrid Weinberg, who is calling in from LA, the sunny side of life. And I'm so excited to learn from Astrid and her life as she's been doing in the leadership world and her story. So Astrid, welcome to the Changemakers podcast. Oh, I'm really excited to be here. I mean, anything that's called change makers, I'm all about. And I, I will ship you some sunshine from Southern California because oh, <laughs> there is an abundance of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will uh, do what we can. Oh, yeah. Please. <laughs> Please. Oh, yeah, that would just make our day for sure. <laughs> I'm happy to. <laughs> we could actually do that. Esther, 
<laughs> Let's start with the beginning. You sure. are a former Disney executive. Um, you're yeah. turning yourself. You, you basically, you've been a change maker, turning yourself and your career into something extraordinary. Can you share with us, introduce yourself and, and share with us who is Esther and what drove you forward to leave Disney of all places? You know, it's a, it's a confluence of things. You know, it's an interesting thing because I think that when you're an executive inside of a company, because mm. I could still consider myself an executive because mm. I'm dealing with many executives. And so it's a different vantage point and purview. And I would say that, you know, I had been in corporate America for a long time. Well, well, it's funny because I've had my business now for almost 20 years, which I can't, I can't believe. Wow. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's, yeah. like, it's like another lifetime yeah. in some respect. <laughs> so is this like the, the, the other life or my previous life? <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's like a second marriage. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and it's better the second time. <laughs> so, so I'll say, even though the first one was great. So I will say that, you know, I was an executive inside of media companies. and I love being an executive inside of media companies because of the, because how much that environment shifts and evolves and changes and the speed in which, and I really respect entertainment so much because they have such an impact on pop culture. You know, we can debate that from here to tomorrow, but it does have such a significant impact. And so I was an executive at Disney and a few things happened. One was that I had, it was on both sides, both my boss's side and my side to give fairness to both. Mm. So I think that on my side, I had gotten in a job, I had elevated to a point and I didn't love the job that I was in. I was doing a job that I was, I thought, you know, it's very, very commonplace that I see that you want something, like you want the next rung, you're after it, you're young, you're hungry, and you get it. You go, what the heck did I want? (laughs) And it was, and the job to which I elevated in, I didn't, um, it didn't exist. And so we were creating it because it was such a mammoth job. Mm. And so I think that there was many different pieces of it that weren't coming fully together. And so I think that I had kind of lost sight of what I really had wanted. I think that my boss and I agreed that we would part company because we felt like it both wasn't right for both of our sides. And so wasn't a good working relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point too, I had gotten to the place where I'd become so disillusioned and so stressed that I got myself fired at one, you know, when I was at the end, we had decided to quit. And then they said, I think you should go. So mm-hmm. I think that it's an interesting thing because at the time that all of it happened, there didn't exist, or at least the way it exists today, people that train and develop leaders. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't someone to lean on or I didn't really have mentors at the time. Mm-hmm. I had one mentor who was like, you know, I think you need to do something else because it doesn't seem like things are a right fit anymore. And he was right. But I, I did need more guidance. Not, mm-hmm. And I'm not blaming anybody. I, it was on myself, you know, my own evolution of how do you look for that? And how do you get that? And how do you ask for help? And how do you develop yourself as an executive? And so that was the reason why I had left. And then it was funny 
not haha funny necessarily, but I would say that when I decided, because I was in the marketing and publicity end of things, that what I would do was I would start my own publicity company, which was crazy because when I had realized that it's not really what I had wanted, but I was really lost and trying to figure out what I did want. It's sort of like, well, what do you mean if I can't lean on what I've known for all these years that I've made a very successful career, then what? What am I doing? Where do I go? What do I do? How do I evolve? And so I had gotten, you know, some great opportunities of doing publicity with great companies like Comedy Central and Oxygen. And so I was doing freelance work and then I was an interim executive for those companies. And then I experimented with I thought one day, because the profession of executive coaching didn't quite exist at the time, Mm -hmm. and I thought, I wonder if I brought a group of people together, friends of mine, Mm -hmm. and I gave them a mandate, come to my house, potluck every week, you get fed, (laughs) you have to bring your food, but everybody gets fed, And, and if everybody set something that they wanted to achieve within a period of eight weeks, and I facilitated and moderated it, and mind you, at the time, I really didn't have any training or experience, which... I after this guy, I wondered what would happen. And within eight weeks, people transformed the likes of which they had never realized they could. And I couldn't believe they could. And it was really this, this whole notion of what is it to really transform yourself? What kind of support you need to do that? Because many people self-generate, and I'm not saying that all of these incredible people that came to my house every week didn't do that and not, not still incredibly successful, which they are. But I will say is that the support in which we all gave each other, for me, it got to a point of the level of influence that we can have on each other in our lives. Yeah. And so how do we really elevate that? Because what I found was that this is the essence of probably my core work for so many years is that what I saw in those eight weeks is if we create an environment of trust, respect, and safety, which the definition of what I call dignity, what could happen to people in such an environment? And in eight weeks, it was like someone scrapped jet propulsion fuel onto everybody and they shot to the moon. And so afterwards, I, I was so taken by it. I thought, well, how do I make this a career and a profession? Because that kind of momentum I want for myself and I want to be able to provide the environment to which people can do that for themselves and people can do that for their teams. So that's how it all really unfolded. And so then I started investigating and looking like there must be places to train and develop you and cultivate you and nurture you and mentor you. And so then I got all of it. I got trained and developed. I signed up. I got, (laughs) I paid, I prayed and, you know, I got trained and developed in being an executive coach with one of the leading international programs and then started my business. And when I remember I had a client of mine, a very progressive woman who's incredibly successful herself, she's an executive at a leading media company. And I said to her, if while I'm being trained to develop, could, would you be open to us doing some training and development and coaching at your company? And she said, a hundred percent, I'd love it because mm-hmm. we developed this trust with each other. And so there it went. You know, yeah. all of a sudden it was, it took off. So that was 18 and a half years ago. And so that's really the seed of where everything started. Yeah. And it sounds to me like you unconsciously or consciously at the time, you were just starting what we call a mastermind group. 
And yes, well, I you, love that yeah, story. Right. Yeah, you know, something that you're not even aware of that you're doing, but when you look back, you think, hey, this is what I was doing. And the concept, dignity zone, magical, absolutely magical. We, we the Chainsmokers, we're talking about how, you know, you know, this tendency with human beings that we place everything and everyone and ourselves included into a box. Yeah. And the boxes come in and, well, we say it, they, they can be good, they can be bad, and they can be plain old ugly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the book, by the way. The story of boxes, <laughs> the bad and the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> and, I love that. Yeah, because that, well, I mean, it's not like we're going to stop doing that. I think it's about being aware of, am I placing myself and others into a good, bad, or an ugly box? And how is that mirroring? to myself and to others so what would you say now that you have for 18 years been in the leadership and the executive leadership field what do you say is the fundamental thing that people need to think about when they're creating that what you call a dignity zone or space for trust and respect what do they need to do to be able to be there because that sounds to me like a good box to be in when you're saying that yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing because when I say, let me take a step back and just define this for a second. When yeah. I say dignity zone, what I'm talking about is it's a context, mm. it's a filter, and it's also a consciousness. Mm. What I mean by that is that it's an approach. I, just, I am taking on the notion that I'm going to create an environment of trust, respect, and safety for myself first. Yeah. I am by then by default and by design, as a dear friend of mine would say, then implement it in, with teams and inside of organizations. Because it's so ingrained in my DNA that my commitment is to make it as part of the DNA of my team and part of the DNA of my organization. Yeah. Now, what that entails is that entails a few things. First of all, it entails a commitment to my own growth and development and learning to the likes of which I perhaps I had never even been committed to before, mm -hmm. which means that you know this, as human beings, we are interacting with other humans. That's what makes work so complex. Work yeah. is not so complex because of the work. Work is so complex because of the people. Yeah. And so I remember I heard one, someone would say, if I came to work and just did the work, I'd come in at nine, I'd leave by 11. I'm here all day. So yeah. what I would say is that it's an interesting, when you decide that you're going to create what I call this dignity zone, which is basically the zone of which I choose to put around myself boundaries, my standards, my way of being is in this lens of dignity, trust, respect, and safety for me. And then I'm going to create a dignity zone for my team, trust, respect, and safety for them. And I'm going to then implement it for my organization. Now that does not mean that people won't screw up, mess up, be disrespectful, nasty, bullying, and just a jerk. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that any of that, it's, it's not sunshine and unicorns. But what it means is that if I am a bully, if I'm a jerk, mm -hmm. if, I, if I make a mistake, if I have a misstep, the way in which I am treated, the way in which I'm confronted, the way in which I am talked to is in an elevated way. Means that 
you will be coached, you'll be mentored. If that doesn't work, you'll be ushered out of the organization. Dignity Zone isn't a utopia that's the Garden of Eden that everybody comes in and all of a sudden everyone's happy and lovely and the rest. Because sometimes our learning is in like this, there's a few people that I coach that do have bullying tendencies and have been told that they're bullies. Mm-hmm. But the, it, the difference is, is once they wake into the awareness of it, like I'm working with a woman now where we got feedback when we were doing an assessment where someone said she throws people, she blames people, throws them under the bus, as we would say, but basically blames people, puts people at odds, makes people feel like they're really less than. Mm-hmm. And so once she got that, she was like, I don't, that's not who I want to be. What do I need to do to change? And now her work is to say, like, whatever, she probably didn't even know she had any kind of dignity zone or anything, but her commitment to herself was to learn and, and to shift her own behavior, to elevate her behavior. Like, how do I elevate that? Because yeah. anything we're, try- we're doing in organizations is I'm elevating me, I'm elevating you, I'm elevating the company. That's really what our job is. But first, I got to elevate me. Because look, it, let's say if I'm, to <clears throat> me, I'm an assistant inside of a company. They may listen to this and go, that's nice, Esther, but I have no authority. I can't elevate anything. But you can. You can elevate the way you treat people, the way you show up, the, your attitude to work. That's where it starts from. The genesis of creating the dignity zone is your own commitment and desire and intention of saying, I'm going to do this. And when there's speed bumps along the way, I'm going to examine my own behavior. I'm going to course correct, and I'm going to help you do the same. Those are the fundamentals of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and really making that conscious, conscious choice to leave that ugly box, uh, what I would call an ugly box, into a place where you are actually giving yourself then the, the access to the dignity zone, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. And I would say too, it's funny because as my wife says oftentimes is that everything serves a purpose. And even when you're stuck in a bad place, that's dark or ugly, as you say, that too serves a purpose because if it is a catalyst, because look, when I coach and work with people, sometimes like, for example, I'm working with a woman now, extremely introverted, very shy, incredibly bright, been hired at a company. When you rise, to the level of an executive, what are people paying you for? They're paying you for your ideas and paying you to manage people. Really, in essence, of course, to make money, all all that comes with it. I understand that. So she's hired at a company. She's come from the tech world. She's now in an entertainment company, and it's a very different culture. She's having a bit of a tough time because you're in a more extroverted culture, a more of a very direct and hard-edged culture, and she's Mm -hmm. not that. Mm-hmm. So when I was doing her assessment the other day, a woman I was interviewing said, you know, it was interesting. She was in a meeting the other day and it's like she swung the pendulum to the whole other side where she was strong and a bit more, you know, very direct mm-hmm. and in your face. And it's funny because once you are one way, in some respects, you must swing the pendulum sometimes all the way to the other side to know mm-hmm the degrees in which to then come to the center. If I have behavior where, for example, if I'm in a room and I'm not necessarily paying attention, I'm not listening well, I'm not reading the room, I'm not getting signals to when my ideas are not landing on people, 
And then all of a sudden I go to a place where I'm asking a thousand questions and I'm shut up and I'm quiet. People are going to be like, what the heck happened to her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. that could be the only way that you then know what your center is. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. That's beautiful. And now 18 years in your way of really helping people to create that same thing for themselves and for teams and, and companies. Tell me at this point in your life, Esther, what are the things that you want to see? What is the change that you want to see in your world? Well, I mean, the number one thing that I have seen for all the years that I've worked inside of organizations that I do think is fundamentally missing is this whole concept of dignity. And I do believe that business is the catalyst for changing our, our planet, really. Yeah, I really yeah, do. Yeah. Because businesses generate jobs, they generate money, they generate impact. They really have a force to which how we can do things individually, we all have a voice, but businesses mm-hmm. have a much greater impact. So I think that if people at work felt that they had a voice, that they felt that their opinion was valuable, Mm-hmm. that their place in a company was valid, that they had this opportunity to have risk and reward and to show up in a way that they could be their best. And if they weren't, they would be mentored to be elevated in a way that could make a significant difference. I really believe that if that would shift everything around us, you would see fundamentally mm-hmm. change. Yeah. I think that is the secret to us elevating elevating the world in which we live in is actually through business. It's through commerce. It's through people that are making, I mean, look at people like, like Jeff Bezos or Amazon or Warren Buffett or Richard Branson. These people, these business leaders have the level of power and influence likes to which many people would love to have. Mm-hmm. And if they're bringing and elevating and creating those kind of cultures that have dignity zones, just imagine what our planet would look like as a result. Oh, yeah. Then tell me then, you looking at yourself and into the future with this vision, what do you see as your role in being that, creating that change? I think, I, you know, it's a funny thing because I've thought a lot about this and it's not a small thing because I, like many, suffer from significance. <laughs> I would mm. say that, I would say that I believe my role in all of this is to be a voice of it. Because you have to, we need many voices championing the same thing because it's not an easy road to hoe mm-hmm. um, or road to toe. It's, it's not. So I believe that the more that I speak of it, encouraging other people, teaching, mentoring, coaching, training, mm-hmm. I do believe that that is my role in all of this to bring this about yeah. and bring it back on a larger scale too. Yeah, exactly. And you sure are. Esther, this has been a pleasure. I can tell you, at least for me, I have a whole new feeling for the word dignity, not to mention how important it is for me to think first about how I can create a dignity zone for me so that I can share the same thing to others. And I think you're absolutely right on that. So thank you for being the change that we all want to see in this world. Well, you know, Runa, I'll say one more thing before we leave each other is that, and I didn't mention before, my job, your job as well, is to hold the space for people. Yeah. 
Because oftentimes, if we just hold space for people, that's part of really what coaching is. Yeah. We really hold the space for people with the right level of curiosity and inquiry, which anyone can do, whether you're an executive or not, or any, any walk of life, that in itself could help to make and create a dignity zone for others. So, so thank you so much for everything today. Thank you. Was this podcast of value for you? I sure hope so. If so, feel free to share the love and give us your generous review on iTunes or Stitcher. And remember that you can always go to runamagnus.com to find out more about the changemakers and how we can help you drive the change you want to see in your